Are you the difficult one in the relationship? Or let me rephrase that. Does someone call you the difficult one in the relationship and they'd prefer you show up in a different way? If you can relate to this, maybe the Healed Being program is for you. The content I teach in that program is like nothing you'll find anywhere else. I tell you the how and why of specific hurtful behaviors to help you not only change them, but also heal inside yourself so that you don't walk around in a consistently triggered state just waiting for the other person to do something you don't or can't agree with. If you resonate with any of this, head over to healedbeing.com and sign up for the first four lessons for free. You're going to learn a lot. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Paul Coliani and I want to help you learn the skills you need to deal with life's challenges in the most emotionally intelligent way. This show consists of my personal opinions and is meant for informational purposes only. Always seek a professional for your mental health and well-being. How do you deal with um, relationship issues in an emotionally intelligent way? What is the process? (laughs) There's no actual like defined process you just have to deal with one situation at a time in fact um well not all the time but in most cases this is what i see the people that write to me about their romantic relationships or even family relationships sometimes they'll say this person is always doing this or they always say this or they give me the silent treatment they treat me like crap. They say these things all the time. And if you've heard me talk about this before, those are called generalizations where you, I mean, you may know this already, but these are generalizations that we don't necessarily want to rely on. We don't want to say they always do it. I mean, it might be true that the generalization they, that they use is always, but it could be the majority of the time. It could be half the time. It could be a few times And uh, because it's so memorable, it feels like all the time. We've all been there. Like, you're always so angry. Why are you always so angry? Or you're always calling me lazy. And it's just not true. I sat on the couch that one day. And ever since then, you think I'm lazy. So we generalize. And when we generalize, we tend to, this is where I'm going with this. We tend to miss out on the opportunity to address the actual problem. So If, let's just say, I'll use the couch example. You saw me sit on the couch once, and ever since then, you think I'm lazy. You call me lazy. You bring that up. Oh, yeah, well, you sit on the couch. No, I don't. (laughs) Maybe every now and then. Maybe when I'm tired. Doesn't mean I'm lazy. Or maybe I want to be lazy. Maybe that day I wanted to be lazy. I'm allowed. I'm giving you some personal boundary responses here. I'm allowed to be lazy. You are. And if that's the issue, you're allowed because you're, I'm assuming, an adult or at least getting there. You're grown up now. (laughs) You can make your own decisions. And uh, you want to be lazy one day, you can. 
If you want to take some time to yourself one day, you can. You're allowed to. You're allowed to make that decision. Now, should you do it when there are other priorities? Yes, you can. <laughs> I'm not saying you can't because you are at the point where you can make your own decisions. And when you're in a relationship, you hope that you have two individuals that are supporting each other and are making their own decisions for themselves, but are just in a place that they are together and moving toward the sunset, holding hands together, but not controlling each other. So that is nice when you have a relationship where there's little to no control. I shouldn't say little, maybe no control. Maybe we shouldn't try to control anyone and just hope that they do things that are in alignment with the relationship and our own values and our own boundaries. But my point is, we tend to generalize and that ends up skipping over what we really need to talk about. And what we really need to talk about happens in the moment. And I see this over and over again. I'm going to generalize. I see it all the time. <laughs> I see this a lot. And what I'm saying here is that, let's just say that um, my girlfriend is always mean to me. Let's just say that was my generalization. My girlfriend is always mean to me. She always puts me down. She always says that I load the dishwasher wrong. She always says that I shouldn't put meat in the trash. <laughs> she's right, unless I take the trash out very fast. But she says things, and she's mean to me, and whatever. I'm just generalizing, and um, I'm not addressing the actual issue. I'm just putting everything in a bucket and saying, this is who she is, and this is how she is. And when you put everything in a bucket, it's very hard to address individual events. So this is where I go with emotionally abusive relationships, difficult situations, even work situations. Anywhere there's a difficult event that uh, turns into a generalization, for example, uh, you never wash the dishes, or when you do, there's always stuff left over. So that generalization, I would rather, my, for example, if my girlfriend said that, I would rather my girlfriend picked up a dish and said, you see this spot right here? <laughs> this is what I'm talking about, which she's done. And uh, I say, oh, I must not have scraped that off. And then she'll say, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I mean. Now that has an impact or has made an impact and has an impact today. Every time she does something like that, when she shows me something specific, or says something very specific, that helps me um, solidify it in my mind. It helps me make it tangible so that I can work with it because I can't work with always or never. I can't do it because it uh, goes up against my intentions. My intentions are to clean all the dishes and make them as spotless as possible. I'm going to keep using this dish analogy. My intention is to clean all the dishes, make them spotless, make sure there's no food left over. And because I am attached to my intention, because I feel good about my intention, because I believe my intention is noble, it's right, noble's probably pushing it, but it's a right, a good intention to have, 
Because I believe that, when she says, you always do this, it pushes up against my intention and my belief about myself. And when that happens, guess what forms an argument? You are pushing up against, or she is pushing up against, a belief about myself. Because my belief is my intentions are good. And my my plan of action is to clean these dishes to the best of my ability. So when she says, you always do this, and my belief is, I definitely don't want to do that, and I try not to, and I believe I am not doing it, and maybe it happens once or twice, an argument will form because always isn't true. So here I am thinking that she sees me in a certain way. Her perception of me is that my intention isn't to clean the dishes. My intention is just to be lazy is a term again. We'll just say, I'm lazy. I'm not cleaning the dishes right because I missed that spot. And maybe I missed it on two or three dishes in that load. But um, how about, you know, because I use the dishwasher too, but we have to scrape the dishes off. How about uh, the rest of the dishes, 98% of the dishes that I that I scraped off and put in the dishwasher or even hand washed? How about them? Doesn't matter <laughs> because those two or three dishes were the problem. But this is how arguments form. This is how we do it is that we say a generalization and we don't address the specifics of the matter. Now, we can't always do that later on. This is where I like to guide people, is that at least the people that are having issues. We can't always address a specific after something happens. I mean, much later. So you're having an argument with somebody, and then much later you say, well, you know, when we had that argument, you were saying this and you were saying that. And what happens then? I mean, what happens then is the other person's going to say, I didn't say that. Or... That's not what I meant at all, or something else. I mean, not always, but this is what happens, is that we're trying to recall events from the heat of the moment. And when we're in the heat of the moment, it's not like we have the best memory. We want to believe that's what we believed at the time, but it's not always true. In fact, I've had to become very humble (laughs) and vulnerable when my girlfriend says, No, that's exactly what you said. And I'll start to say, that's not what uh, maybe I did. Maybe I did say that because I have to stop myself. I have to stop myself from jumping into a belief that I believed I had at the time because I'm going to say this and I mean this with much respect to all people out there that are in any type of relationship with uh, any female. (laughs) They have a great memory. And because I believe that, I mean, a lot of people have a great memory, but women tend to have a greater memory. And because of that, I choose to be humble because she's probably right. She's probably right. And that's what I sometimes choose to believe. I'm going to say most of the time. I choose to believe that she has a great memory. So what ends up happening is I choose to be humble. And now the great part about humbleness is that it diffuses an intense situation. It can squash the energy out of a heated argument. When you're humble, when you allow someone to be right or at least 
to move in the direction that they're more right than you, to allow them to have a memory that is um, maybe you disagree with, but you might just give them credit that it's accurate. So my girlfriend says, I've told you this 10 times. She may be um, wrong about the number. (laughs) She may be exaggerating that number 10 times, really. But the point was made that she has told me about this before, so maybe it's true. And if it's true, who am I to argue it? And if I don't argue it and I'm humble and I just say, oh my God, maybe you're right, so I didn't listen well before or I didn't commit it to memory, or if I did commit it to memory, obviously I forgot. That can be a humble response. And that can usually diffuse a a very heated argument or debate or conversation. And that can be helpful so that you can actually accomplish something and be productive in the conversation. Because what's going to happen when she shows me this spot on this plate, which is usually a piece of stuck food? (laughs) I didn't use the scraper. It's a piece of stuck food. And now I have to answer for it. See, this is what I'm talking about. This is a piece of food and you didn't scrape it off. That's what I mean when I say you don't do it right. I have to be humble and say, oh my God, I miss that. And maybe I miss it uh, more often than I think. When I hear that, when I hear myself say that, if she were saying that to me, that would diffuse my uh, intensity. That would squash my energy. Because what she's saying is, oh my goodness, I hear you. Maybe you're right. That's what I hear. If you know the roles were reversed. I hear her saying, maybe you're right. Maybe this is something I do and I don't even realize it. Now at this point, I'm not going to say, you see, I told you and all this time and I'm mad at you and I'm not going to go into that direction. Of course not, because I love her. When you love someone, you don't want to continue having this heated argument or conversation. You want to have a nice one. You want to have a productive one. I believe that all arguments should lead to productive talking, conversation, something that helps you understand each other better and helps you reach a new level in your relationship and bonding. And when you reach that new level, then you can have a better time together and we don't have to discuss it anymore. What I see happening a lot is that arguments will be repeated. This is that spot on the plate again, that piece of food that's stuck there. I tell you about it every time, and uh, now we're going to have the same argument again because I wasn't humble the last time. Because last time, I might have said, it's not my fault. That's not my fault. You know, I scraped 99% of that plate. I scraped it. Apparently, I missed that 1%. I'm so sorry. You know, becomes sarcastic. I'm just role-playing here, but I'm so sorry that I missed that 1% of the plate. I'll try to be more careful. I'll I'll spend a half an hour on every plate and make sure I scrape every single little morsel off just to satisfy you. Now we're becoming mean. Now we're becoming just uh, belittling and insulting. And that's not nice when you love someone. I'm not telling you what you don't already know. You know this. It's not nice to be sarcastic and belittle and insulting. And I know some people are thinking, yeah, but they're insulting me. 
They're telling me that I didn't do something right when my every intention was to do it right. And I even did it for them so they don't have to do it. I wash the dishes all the time so my girlfriend doesn't have to do them. So why is she complaining? This is not fair. I'm hoping that both sides, both people, will hear something like this or understand that it's best to diffuse a situation than to uh, exaggerate or exacerbate or amplify it any further than it needs to go. It shouldn't have to go any further when one of you shows humility, shows vulnerability, even shows transparency. This is what I talk about in Love and Abuse over at loveandabuse.com. This is what I talk about in my Healed Being program over at healedbeing.com since I'm URL dropping. <laughs> I want to make sure that you have a way out of the heated exchange. You should both have a way out of the heated exchange because what ends up happening, again, we'll go back to generalizations, you end up generalizing uh, who they are and what they do. And they do the same with you. You know, you're, you're always like this. You're always trying to hurt me. You're always trying to make me cry. You're always trying to say that you're right and I'm wrong. And again, a lot of that could be true. But then we lose connection with the specific thing that is happening, which means we have to repeat this argument later because it's not productive. And this is basically my main point of this segment is that we need to be specific, and to be specific, it's better to do it as close to the moment it's happening as possible. And I know this is hard because when we're in a heated exchange, you're not thinking too clearly. You're just thinking of self-protection and defending yourself, uh, wanting them to be wrong, wanting yourself to be right, or at least wanting to be heard, wanting to be understood, and trying to make your point and waiting for them to stop talking so that you can make your point. All of this is going on. All of it pretty much part of your coping mechanisms, your survival mechanisms, your fight or flight mechanisms. All of these old patterns that are in place that we are programmed or how we are programmed to respond to danger. I'm programmed to respond to danger. So when I feel I'm being attacked, I'm going to either defend myself or freeze or run. I'm going to have these uh, behaviors that come up because that's what's inside of me. That's what I'm used to doing. And so this is how arguments are also continually um, amplified and continually repeated. And these arguments are repeated over and over again unless you find closure. And closure comes in the form of addressing the specifics. And the specifics have to be addressed as close to the moment it occurs, whatever it is, to give you the best chance at resolving whatever it is. And what I mean by that is, let's just say I'm doing the dishes and my girlfriend walks in while I'm doing them, while I'm scraping a, a plate. And she looks down and sees that that piece of food is on there. Now, it, it's going to feel like she's micromanaging me, so I'm going to be maybe irritated. <laughs> and then uh, she's going to pull out and say, well, look what you did. I think this actually happened. Look what you did right here. This is it. And uh, that's what I mean. And she might be nice about it. It's like, well, this is what I'm saying, honey. <laughs> this is what I'm saying is that the food gets left over. So when that happens, it gets stuck in the dishwasher. And then we got to clean out the dishwasher. And, you know, she may tell me the reason why it's so important. 
And uh, what'll happen is, like again, I'll be maybe irritated that it, it's happening now because I'm doing my best. My intentions are to clean it, and I'm doing it to save her time, and I feel really good about myself. And she shows me this, and now what does that mean to me? Now it's uh, flying in the face of how I feel about myself and my intentions and my own worth and self-esteem. All this stuff happens at the deeper level. And so I, I have an opportunity to be humble and say, oh my God, I can't believe I missed that. You're right. I can say something like that. Look at that. I, I did miss it. I wasn't even thinking. I must have been on autopilot. You're right. You think she's going to be madder <laughs> at that point? Or is she going to say, I'm so glad you saw it? Or is she going to think something like, well, at least he is being humble. At least he is admitting it. At least I finally got to show it to him in the moment. And this is what I'm saying is that we need to be as close as possible to the moment it happens to address it while it's happening or just after it happens so that it becomes more memorable. Instead of addressing it later, saying, you always do this, you always leave food on the plates, address it in the moment or as close to the moment as possible so that you can get not only get your point across, but you make an impact to the person that you're talking to because you are pointing it out as it's happening, which is when your memory is freshest. When you have the freshest memory, you are more willing and able to see and remember what you did. I mean, that sounds obvious. When you have a fresh memory, you're more likely to remember what you did. But when you're in the heat of the moment, it's a little harder because if you argue about something later, it's going to be harder to recall and it flies up against your beliefs and your own value and your intentions. If you know you have good intentions and somebody says you're doing this or you're doing this on purpose, then it really makes you feel like you're being um, unfairly treated. And so this is why it's more important and more impactful to address something in the moment. And the dishes is just a, a very minor example. Think about what you might argue with someone about and take that into consideration. Because if you are using any type of generalization, you're always upset. You're always upset. That might be something that upsets someone else. You're always upset. I can never get a word in because you're always angry. You're always this, you're always that. But let's just say that in the time it's happening, in the time that they are upset, you bring up, this is what I mean right now. I'm trying to talk to you. I'm trying to share something with you and you're upset. And because you're upset, it's hard to get a word in because you won't let me get a word in. And I'm just trying to right now. I'm just trying to uh, have a conversation with you and make this a productive conversation. Now, I'm not saying this is a, a winner. This is a magic pill because some people are going to want to stay in their own space and not become uh, vulnerable or humble. This is why this show is for everyone. <laughs> I think both people on both sides of a relationship should hear something like this or should know something like this and do their best to comply or try. Try this. When you're starting to get a heated or get into a heated argument or exchange, try to be humble enough to realize that they may be right about a part of this or all of it. And if they are right, how would I respond then? If she was right about the dishes, 
over 50% of the time I leave food on the dishes. If she were right about that, how would I respond to it? And that will be helpful for me to develop a better response. Now, this doesn't work with everyone. Like, if you are both doing this with each other, great. But if they don't do it in return, you're not relating. You're not communicating. It's, it's one-sided and you may not get anywhere. If you say, you do this to the dishes and here's the example, here's what I mean, you just did it right now, and they say, you're wrong, <laughs> or there's no way I can get that off, they make something up, and that might be true if you try it yourself, but let's just say that they're belligerent and they're contrary and they don't want to try to uh, be on your side, try to see your side, then what they're going to do is say something argumentative and argumentative people that don't want to back down, that don't want to be wrong, that don't want to be vulnerable will be more difficult or impossible. And there's not much you can do except say, I really can't communicate with you. You, you don't want to be vulnerable and admit you're wrong. You don't want to take responsibility. And because of that, we can't have a conversation. And they may say, that's not true at all. <laughs> that's not true. Which it might be part of their not being able to take responsibility. I believe a good relationship, a loving relationship, one where you support each other, involves humbleness. I believe it involves vulnerability. I believe it involves transparency in the sense that uh, you're being humble by saying, oh, you may be right. You're being vulnerable by getting into that space where you may be wrong, where your self-worth might take a hit, where your ego might take a hit. So it's very vulnerable. And you're being transparent by expressing this stuff and saying, oh, I probably uh, missed that. I probably was thinking about something else. I was probably on autopilot. And you may not believe what some of the stuff you say, but if you think that it might be true or there's a possibility for it, then your transparency can help to show them that at least you're reflecting on what they're saying. And again, this doesn't work with every single person on, in the world because some people will never back down. Some people are a brick wall, and when you talk to them like this, they want to be right. The people who want to be right and will never back down, that's a different type of situation. If they never back down and they never choose to take responsibility and they can never see that they are the problem or a problem, they can never see that they're the cause of anything, then you can't have a conversation with them. There is no relating. That is not a relationship. I don't think it is. I don't, I don't look at that as a relationship. If one person is trying and the other person doesn't believe that they can ever do anything wrong and might even go the extra distance and say, the whole world is the problem, not me, it might be impossible. Now, hopefully, somebody like that will have a revelation of some sort one day and think to themselves, you know, I never take responsibility for anything. Maybe I should. Or even, what would happen if I did? Like, I remember um, a long time ago when I was 10 years old, the bully up the street that pretended to be my friend and forced me to be his friend. Whole different story. <laughs> but it was hard to play with him because he was just kind of aggressive. 
and uh, he was always hard on his mom. I remember we would go in his house, and his mom would say something, and he would just say something mean or aggressive, and I just thought that was so awful. And uh, I told him once, I said, you know, why don't you pretend that you are the, the sweetest son there is? I said something like that. I said, why don't you just try to be extra nice to your mom? Like, pretend to be nice. Pretend that she is the sweetest, most loving person in your life, and you love her to death. You know, you want her to see you, and her eyes light up. And I didn't say, oh, this is a 10-year-old, but this was what I'm trying to convey back then. I was trying to convey that I wanted him to pretend to be nice, and I said, why don't you do that and see what happens? See what she does. And I was telling him this because I wanted him to be nice to his mom. I was being, I believe, ethically manipulative. (laughs) I was trying to manipulate him to be nice to his mom. So he did. He said, hi, mom. I love you. How are you doing today? He said something like that. And she was surprised. Like, who is this kid? (laughs) This isn't my son. This isn't how he talks. And I, I remember her face and I remember her feeling... I don't know if she felt this way, but I could see in her face that she was uh, pleasantly surprised, but also a little suspicious, but pleasantly surprised because this is what she wanted. I, you know, I look back at this and I think this is what she wanted. Her son should treat her like a mom and treat her like with kindness and respect. And uh, when he did that, he did it for, I don't know how long, a few minutes or maybe even longer, but uh, his mom was definitely reacting positively. And I thought, man, why don't you just do that all the time? Because now you can have a good relationship with your mom. And I'm thinking as a 52-year-old man, thinking what I could have said as a 10-year-old boy, which is night and day, of course. But it's nice to know that even back then, I was trying to treat people with kindness and respect. And he just wasn't doing it. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if he tried? And so that's what I told him to do, just pretend. And he did, and I saw the positive reaction from her, and it made me feel good that at least she got some of that. And, of course, he never did it after that again. He didn't maybe learn that it was better to treat your mom nicer, especially because she's not hurtful to him. She's just trying to be the best mom she can, from what I remember. And uh, he just never did it. But my whole point is that when he did that, he actually tried it on. He experimented. He found out what happened when he just tested being someone else. And uh, my point about all this is that sometimes there are people out there that do not want to be wrong. They want to stand in their righteousness and not be vulnerable and not be humble. And to them or you who's listening now, if this is you, try it and see what happens. And even if you have to fake it, fake it till you make it maybe, but just fake it in the sense that What would happen if one time you decided to say, you know, maybe you're right and I got to think about that. Or maybe you're you're right and I got to reflect on that. What would happen? Would the argument continue? Would you see them soften up? Would you see them connect with you more? Would you see them want to be closer to you instead of be farther from you? One of the things that I teach over in Healed Being is that when the emotionally abusive person decides to do the opposite thing that they normally do, they learn that that is what attracts 
the person to them and doesn't push them away because often what happens is that the emotionally abusive person does behaviors because they want to feel love and connection with the person they're doing the behaviors toward, even though that sounds zany. (laughs) It sounds crazy. But a lot of them, if not most of the emotionally abusive people I've worked with, love the person and hurt that person. And I have to share with them and sharing with you now that the behaviors they're doing that they think will amplify love and connection are actually doing the opposite. They don't realize it. Just like in my marriage and my previous relationships, when I was hurtful to the person I loved, I was doing so thinking that it would amplify our loving connection. As crazy as that sounds, I did so much of my hurtful behavior because I really wanted a deeper love and connection. And that's at a deeper level, past all the toxicness and the dysfunction All of the stuff that I did was based on old toxic beliefs and old coping strategies that definitely didn't work anymore. They did as a kid because I survived the ordeals I was going through, but in adult relationships, no. (laughs) They did not have a function. They were very dysfunctional. And um, what I have to tell a lot of people in the program is that when you do certain behaviors, you are pushing the other person away and decreasing love and connection. And a lot of them, they don't understand it. In fact, I remember believing that if she only did what I wanted her to do, we would both be happier. And it's just a belief that we carry around with us and it causes us to do behaviors that continue to push the other person away. And when we continue to push the other person away, of course, it's going to be harder and harder to maintain any sense of love and connection because they don't want to be hurt anymore. They start closing uh, their heart to us. And if they close it enough, they'll eventually shut us out. And this is why it's so important to know that sometimes our behaviors, our reactions, the way we argue, the way we have conversations, the way we relate has to be with enough, uh, what's the word, fairness, with enough equanimity, has to be with enough sense of sympathy and empathy that we know that they're in a space of vulnerability and that we should be in that space too. And when they're not in that space of vulnerability, maybe they're the ones that don't want to be wrong and want to hold that space. Uh, that we can show up and tell them, I'm trying to communicate with you, but I can't, and I want to. And hopefully they'll get it. But if they don't, that's when it's important, like I said, if you're both listening to this program, you practice this, and you try it, you experiment. If you are the person that is uh, very difficult, very hard-headed, very stubborn, and you never want to be wrong, and you always think that the world is against you and everyone else is wrong, I'm asking you to play with the idea that even just pretend. Pretend that you're wrong or that you could be wrong. That's all I'm asking you to do because I know how difficult difficult it is to jump from I know I'm right to I could be wrong. That is a huge gap. That is a huge... That's like... A 200-foot jump. (laughs) I'm just qualifying it with a number. It's just huge. And it's very hard to do. 
But if you pretend, okay, I'm going to pretend that I might be wrong. What would I say if I was wrong? This is how you start to soften in yourself. Not in a bad way. Soften in your heart to connect with somebody else, to connect with the other side. I'm going to pretend I'm wrong. Or I'm going to pretend that they may have a good point. What would I say? How would I feel? What would I do then? Well, I'm just pretending. I'm just going to play along. I'm just pretending, so I'll just play along. Uh, Okay, I might be wrong. You might have a good point. And because of that, I'm going to pay close attention to how I'm doing the dishes uh, next time. How does that change things? You're going to see huge changes after that. You have to. If you don't, then something else is going on or you've had a lot of hurt and maybe resentment for years and years and years with the other person. But you're bound to see major changes after that. And again, coming back to the Heal Being program, I teach the people that have been hurtful to their partners and other people in their life that when you start doing this, you get feedback. You get feedback in their reactions. You see how they react. You feel how they react because you're seeing something different than what you're used to seeing. For me, I used to go into silent mode. I I used to give my partners the silent treatment to make them feel guilty, to withdraw love from them, making them feel unloved and not worthy of my attention. Terrible behavior. I'm not proud of it at all. I'm, I'm definitely, I wish I had done something different, but that's who I was back then. That's who, that's who I was. That's how I showed up. And um, that's why I'm sharing this with you because I know what happens when you show up in a certain way. And I also know what it takes to cause someone to distance themselves from you. I mean, that is the behavior I'm talking about is when you're unwilling to allow more opinions when you're unwilling to take responsibility for something you possibly could be responsible for or maybe you are 100% responsible for I know what happens you push people away and so when you get this feedback that I'm talking about when you pretend to be humble pretend that the other person may have a good point and you get feedback when you do that you start to realize oh wait this is actually creating a stronger connection with the other person or it's surprising the other person to the point that the argument stops and they are looking at me differently. They see me as a different person or at least in this moment. Maybe they're suspicious. (laughs) Like, who are you? This isn't the way you normally respond. Let me try that again. This is what happens is that you get some good feedback. Most of the time you'll get good feedback And uh, when you get that good feedback, it's going to feel good. And then you'll repeat that behavior. Maybe you'll pretend again, and then it'll feel good again. And then over time, what happens is you will end up faking it till you make it because you will realize that uh, allowing someone else to have an opinion that differs from yours and allowing yourself to be wrong or the possibility of being wrong, allowing that to happen is actually a good thing and a way to be humble and vulnerable and transparent, which should, in most cases, uh, increase closeness, increase bonding, and definitely do the opposite of causing someone to distance themselves from you. 
unless it's too late. I mean, some people do shut their hearts down and they don't want to reconnect. And if that's the case, you may not be able to get to that point. But what you'll end up finding is that as you practice vulnerability and humility and transparency, that you get to find out just how well built or how established the foundation of your relationship with the other person is. And this is where it all leads, is that what do you have underneath that is worth not only salvaging and saving, but could be something amazing? That would be cool. You practice humility and vulnerability and transparency, and you create something amazing instead of something that feels so unbalanced and when it's unbalanced and you don't feel the love and connection that you want to feel that's when things can continue to stay unbalanced and pretty soon one person jumps off the seesaw and the other person slams into the ground and then they're gone they don't want to do it anymore I don't want to ride the seesaw with you anymore because it's never fun most relationships are supposed to feel good I think all relationships are supposed to feel good because if it doesn't feel good, why begin that relationship? It should feel good. You should be happy. You should be connected. It doesn't mean you won't have your ups and downs, but it shouldn't always be down. It shouldn't always be hurtful. It shouldn't be always one person taking the blame and the other person thinking they're right all the time. It needs to be balanced. It needs to feel good. You both should be on the same page and you both should be vulnerable, humble, and transparent as much as possible. So arguments don't amplify and raise an intensity and repeat themselves over and over again, which leads to my original point of addressing things as soon as they happen instead of waiting later, which often leads to repeated arguments. I don't know if you got anything from this segment, but I hope it helps. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm going to come right back and talk about something else. When we return, I'll be right back after this. I'm willing to bet that you are more likely to listen to someone's recommendation when they've had a good experience. So I don't know about you, but I've always, always wanted a resource like that for finding the right doctor. And today we have that resource. ZocDoc has a list of real verified patient reviews to help you find the right doctor that's in your network and in your neighborhood. ZocDoc helps you book an appointment with a doctor that's right for you and fits your schedule. My girlfriend and I use ZocDoc, and I recommend that you try it out too. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. You want general practitioners? No problem. You want specialists? You got it. You'll find every specialist under the sun. ZocDoc lets you search, find, and book doctors in just a few taps. You can read verified patient reviews from real people who made real appointments. Join the millions of people using ZocDoc today. Go to ZocDoc.com forward slash brain and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com forward slash brain. ZocDoc.com forward slash brain. 
And it is November as I record this, and here we are. The holidays are upon us once again. One gift idea that I want to share with you is the gift that definitely keeps on giving, StoryWorth. StoryWorth is a way to help your loved ones document the timeless stories of their life. They'll create a book of a person's stories and photos so that they can chronicle their life or even just some of the memorable parts of their life in a wonderfully creative way. Imagine that book on the coffee table as your loved one's special memories to share with you. That's the gift of StoryWorth. Every week, StoryWorth emails your loved ones a single life-related question that you pick from their collection, like, what's the bravest thing you've ever done? Or, what's the farthest you've ever traveled? And after a year, StoryWorth compiles their stories, memories, and photos in an exquisite hardcover book, creating a valuable keepsake. Like the one my girlfriend's mom is creating right now. I can't wait to read her stories and I'm excited to learn what she says about her life and my girlfriend, you know, her daughter. Help your family share their story this holiday season with StoryWorth. Go to storyworth.com forward slash brain today and save $10 on your first purchase. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com forward slash brain. You'll save $10 on your first purchase, storyworth.com forward slash brain. Welcome back. Like I said, I'm going to change the subject a little bit. Uh, actually, it's not that much uh, because this email just came in and I wanted to read it because of what we're talking about today. So it's very closely related. This person wrote, Thank you so much for the podcast. You're welcome. <laughs> I feel I finally found one that resonates with me. I've listened to and given up on so many podcasts that weren't really helpful or realistic. I have a lot of catching up to do, so maybe you've already touched on this topic. But I'm in a place where the relationship advice I need is with myself. I've spent my entire adult life in relationships, and I am at a point in my life where I want to be alone so I can figure out who I am as an individual. I've blamed my partners for being controlling when the real issue was that I would relinquish decision-making to them because I don't yet have my own true identity outside of being someone's partner and I am not confident making my own choices. I would love some feedback, advice, words of encouragement for an adult trying to learn who she is at the midpoint uh, or midlife point in my life. All right, thank you. I'm going to go back to my uh, notes here. So much for editing. <laughs> so much for editing the show and leaving this stuff out. But I'm going to just go along with it here because I put down a couple episodes that I want you to listen to. Yes, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, I hear you. And yes, I definitely have talked about this before because I went through this exact same scenario. So you're in the right place, <laughs> at least from my perspective. Uh, maybe it'll help you to hear my perspective. But after my divorce, I was a serial monogamist. My girlfriend calls me a serial monogamist all my life, which means I got into a relationship and stayed in them as long as they lasted and then got into another relationship and repeated that process. I just tried to stay in these relationships as long as possible because I believed that happiness only came if you were in a relationship. I believed that the only way to be happy was to be in a romantic relationship. That was it. That was my belief system. Of course, you know, there are other things that make me happy, but overall, general happiness had to be or had to come from 
being in a relationship. So that was my focus uh, for 30 plus years of my, oh no, 20 plus years of my adult life. And I decided that after my divorce, that something needed to change. Something needs to change because I get into these relationships and they fail and then I'm upset and one relationship ended and I was depressed and it was miserable. I was just miserable. And so I would get into these relationships and I would make the person in my life the sole source of my happiness, which means they always had to be around. I was so clingy and possessive and jealous. A lot of dysfunctions came from that. And maybe the person who wrote, you can relate to some of this or a lot of it. Uh, Because if you're anything like me, you didn't want to be single. You wanted to be with someone because being single meant unhappiness. And that was it. Black and white thinking. So being single meant being unhappy. And that was my belief system. So that's what I went with for many, many years. But I had to figure out what was going on in my life. Why was I continuing to lose all these relationships? Why did I keep failing at love? That's what I felt. And so after my marriage ended, I finally decided what you decided. That, you know what? I need to learn who I am. I need to figure myself out because I have never been an adult without a relationship or without the desire for a relationship. Well, I shouldn't say desire. It was more like a need. Like I believed I needed a relationship. So even in between relationships, I was still longing and looking. And so it was always a pull. The other person was always uh, necessary for me. I needed another person in my life. There was a pull, a draw. Uh, I needed that person or a person in my life so that I would be happy. And that was a constant uh, thing for me. I had to search all the time for someone to be in my life. And it became draining because I kept failing at relationships. And failure is not the right word, but back then, that's what it felt like. I, I failed at relationships. I was lousy at love, even though I thought I was great at love. But like you... I would, like you said, relinquish decision-making to them because I feel like I didn't have an identity. But to be truthful, I didn't really feel that way then. I didn't feel like I didn't have an identity. I felt like I knew myself well, and that was the problem. I didn't because I didn't know who I was without someone else in my life. Do you know who you are without someone else in your life? And can you be happy without someone else in your life? Now, this doesn't mean you can't be happier without someone else in your life. I'm just asking the question, can you be happy without someone else in your life? I know some people are saying, absolutely, no problem. And they and others might be saying, absolutely no problem, and I wish I had someone else in my life. And some others say, nope, don't want anyone in my life. (laughs) Don't want anyone to interrupt the flow of me being me. Because some people get into relationships and that flow disappears. So what I'm going to guess is, like me, you decided that you are a serial monogamist. You need someone in your life and that you identify you as we. That's what I did. I identified me as us. And because of that, 
there was no me. There weren't two people as individuals with their own values and beliefs and thoughts about the world and ideas and decisions holding hands, walking into the sunset. I know I use that metaphor a lot, but that's what it's like for me is that when you can be two individuals making your own decisions, walking the path of life, and you feel good being with somebody else, and you can walk in the same direction because you have similar ideas and similar thoughts about the future, or you make plans that are at least agreeable, (laughs) and you are appreciating each other, then you can be individuals in a relationship and make we, or us. So there's three people in a relationship. I've talked about this before, but since you're new to the show, I'm going to tell you about this. Three people in a relationship, you, me, and us. Us isn't really a person, it's people, but three entities, if you want to look at it that way, you and me and us. And the reason I say it that way is because you have your own ideas, opinions, beliefs, values. I have mine too. And then together, we can bring a lot of that into the same mix and hopefully work together on things and live together and love together and love each other and move forward with all these different thoughts and ideas or very similar thoughts and ideas. But when there's an acknowledgement and understanding and a validation that each of you is an individual, then you are less likely and hopefully not likely to control the other person. If the other person starts listening to music you don't like, hopefully you give them the space to do it. And if you don't like it and they realize you don't like it, hopefully they don't play it in front of you. (laughs) It works both ways. Just like I was saying in the last segment, there's a seesaw, there's a balancing act and we got to work together to make it work. And it works when you work together. So I like the balance that we can find in relationships to create uh, something wonderful. And this is why you work together. And sometimes you're not always going to agree, but as individuals, you're going to have your own likes and dislikes. So you may like this kind of movie and they may like that kind of movie, but hopefully you like some movies together. One person loves playing video games. The other one likes reading books. Hopefully while they're playing, you can read and hopefully while you're reading, they can play, you know, you find balance that way. And I know a lot of couples that do this. My girlfriend and I have vastly different um, thoughts about what's fun. (laughs) Not all, but she thinks it's fun shopping for plants. I want nothing to do with it. I love nature. I love plants. I love that she does that. But that sounds so boring to me. Forgive me if you're a botanistic person. I don't even know if that's a word, but (laughs) this is the person I am. I don't want to do that. Now, uh, the Electronics Entertainment Expo comes into town. I'm there. (laughs) I'm excited about that. But that's who we are. We like different things. And this is who a lot of people are. But we support each other. If she wants to go do that thing and uh, I want to go do this thing, that's what will happen. Now, what's awesome is that when you find the right person, you want to do most things together. And uh, when that happens, now you have something special. But the things that you do apart, hopefully, are supported. So I'm just mentioning that because I talked about you, me, and us. And what happens, This and this is why I'm mentioning it, what happens when us is gone? 
This is the problem when we identify ourselves as us, as we, as a part of a relationship and nothing else. That's why I like the idea of you, me, and us. Because when us is no longer, there has to be a you. There has to be a me. There has to be an I. Because if there's not, and you're still identified with an us, this is where that longing and need comes from. And you feel so drawn, and you need it, and you need someone else in your life to fulfill you because you feel partially empty or fully empty. And that's where dysfunction can rise because you are longing for another person. Doesn't mean that when you long for another person, you're dysfunctional. You know, sometimes it does, but it can mean that, especially if you were like me in the past where I needed a relationship to be happy. I think that there's a lot of people that aren't in a relationship right now and they're okay with it, but they would like one. And I think that's a very healthy perspective. You know what? I'm okay being single, but I don't want to be single. That would be me. I would be okay being single, but I I don't want to be. I would rather be in a relationship. I would rather share my life with somebody else. So I believe in that, that it's okay to be in a relationship, and it's okay to want a relationship, and it's okay to long for one, but it can't be your sole driving force without having some sort of I don't want to say dysfunction, but certainly some negativity involved with it. Because if you're constantly needing and longing for it, it takes away from I. It takes away from who you are because now your mind is occupied on finding the next right person. So that might need to be worked on if you're experiencing that. Now, this person who wrote, I don't think they're experiencing that. I think they really want to be single. They really want to know themselves. And so... The question is, would love some feedback, advice, words of encouragement for an adult trying to learn who she is at the midlife point of my life. I was there at the midlife point of my life. I made the decision that it's time for me to be single because I need to know who I am. And that is the first step. Make the decision. It's time for me to be single. Because as soon as I got divorced, I started looking again. And I realized, whoa, there's something going on here. Why do I always start to look for the next relationship as soon as I'm single? I just had this revelation. I realized if I get into another relationship and it fails again, that means that I'm going to experience the same thing as I'm experiencing now. So there must be something wrong. There must be something I'm doing that's causing this. So that's when I needed to clean out my system, clean out my mind, get the fog to lift and reach some clarity. And I realized the only way to do that is to know myself. And that's what I had to do, to to choose to be by myself, to learn about myself, to reflect on who I am or to learn about who I am. And that's what I started doing. So, yes, make the decision. That's step one. Step two is uh, you said something important. You said I would relinquish decision making to them because I don't know have I don't have my own ability. I'm sorry. I don't have my own true identity outside of being someone's partner. My approach to this is to learn what your personal boundaries are, what you will and won't accept in your life, and start honoring them in little ways, in big ways. But this is how you create the foundation of you. This is how you create the structure of who you are. Because when you say, no, I won't accept that in my life, you create uh, a wall for your foundation. And then when you say, yes, I will accept that in my life, you create another wall of your foundation. Maybe it has a door. 
<laughs> or window. And every time you say what you want or say what you don't want or ask for what you want or reject somebody or something or accept somebody or something, every time you do something that you become in alignment with or you make a decision that's in alignment with what you want at a deeper level, personal boundaries, for example, you create the structure and foundation of who you are. And this is how you help create your identity. So when I was single, I didn't have anybody else to, to tell me to, to stop or go or say yes or say no to. I didn't have anyone else to tell me what to do. So therefore, I could do anything I wanted, keeping it legal. <laughs> there were things that I probably could have wanted to do, but I really wanted to learn about myself, so that's where my focus was. But I really could. I could do anything I wanted because no one was around to oppose me or even to support me. There was no outside influence at all. And so that was the first time I really started thinking about what it's like to be single. I thought, wow, this is interesting. I'm not used to not having someone else in my mind when I make a decision to do something. Even just picking up a book or turning on the TV. I never really did that without someone else in my mind. Oh, if I turn on the TV, I wonder what she's going to think if I turn on this movie. It, that just didn't exist anymore. And so I started seeing benefits of being me of making decisions without someone else's influence. It made me feel special. It made me feel good. I felt free. And so that was the first time, at least during that time, that was one of the first times I started feeling what it was like to be single and then being okay with it. And so this is what you learn. You understand what you will and won't accept in your life and you understand what you want to do and then you do it or take steps that lead you into a direction of the things that you want to do and as you do things you learn what you like and what you don't like and as you do more things you learn what you will accept and what you won't accept personal boundaries and so that might mean when somebody comes up to you and they're really rude you can say you're being disrespectful that might be a boundary or maybe you don't want to pick that battle but it's little things like that that help define who you are because as you test these little things, you end up discovering how you react and how you feel about how you react or don't react and how you feel about that. And when things happen or and when you make certain decisions in your life, you get to find out what the results are. You learn on your own. You figure it out. And if you like the results, you do more and more of that. And then as you get this kind of feedback, you understand yourself more. So the more things you do and the more decisions you make, the more you understand yourself because you'll learn what happens after you make that decision. For example, let's just say that uh, your mom is kind of toxic. I hope not or if she's you know still alive, but let's just say she's kind of toxic and you normally go silent. <laughs> you normally just try to avoid talking to her. Now that might be a personal boundary issue that you haven't addressed yet. So instead of saying, mom, you're being disrespectful, I'm going to leave. Instead of saying something like that, something like that, or doing something like that, you go silent instead. But let's just say you were practicing learning who you are and you finally decided that you're going to stand up for yourself and say, mom, you're being disrespectful. Uh, I won't tolerate that. 
what happens now. Now you get to find out what happens. You get to discover what happens when you do that. You'll get to learn what happens when you do that. And then you'll get feedback which tells you that makes me feel good or that makes me feel bad or I get bad results. When you learn what happens, then you fine-tune it from there. This is what I had to do. I had to learn what happens when I honored myself and learn what happens when I stood up for myself and then I fine-tuned it from there. And the more results that I got that made me feel good, the more my identity was building. It was starting to build and building. This is it. I mean, this is like the key for me is as I honored myself, as I stood up for myself, I learned what I wanted and what I didn't want, what I would accept and what I wouldn't accept. And the more I honored myself, the more I built my own identity. The structure, the walls, the foundation, everything about me was building the more I defined or learned how to define what I wanted and what I didn't want. And the only way to do that is to try it out. For example, I'm going to go do some hiking on some really rough trails. And then I go do hiking and I realize after I hiked for a couple miles that I never want to do it again (laughs) because it was rough, I was miserable, and I didn't get any enjoyment out of it. And some people might say, but hiking is good for you. You're in nature. Yeah, but you may enjoy it, but I didn't. That is just an idea, you know, a thought, is that we could do something that we think we should enjoy or think we should do, but we don't like it. So why would we expose ourselves to do that again and again? Unless you have a goal of losing weight and hiking is connecting with nature and you think you'll get used to it and you'll like it, of course, but it's it's your choice. It should be your choice. It should be your choice and your choices define you. And you should make choices that are right for you. That's what my show is all about. Helping you make decisions that are right for you. And when you make decisions that feel good to you and feel right to you and are within your values, you know, aligning with your values, aligning with your beliefs and maybe even challenging your your beliefs and aligning with who you want to be and how you want to feel, you start building you. You start creating your identity from the ground up. I had to do this. I was a people pleaser most of my life. I just went with the flow. You know, people say, go with the flow. And sometimes that works. <laughs> and sometimes you need to create the flow. Sometimes you are the lead of that flow. You are the creator of that flow. And in order for the flow to work, you have to create it so that you can go with it. Okay, I'm going to go with the flow, but this is the flow that I created. This is the flow I want to go with. This is where I feel most comfortable because I defined the flow. I defined this path for me. And as you honor yourself, stand up for yourself, do what you want to do and choose to accept and choose to not accept certain people and things and ideas in your life, you define the structure of who you are and you feel better and better as time goes on inside yourself because everything starts to come together. Everything starts to form together and mold into something that uh, feels good inside of you because you're in alignment, really. You're in alignment with who you are at the deepest level, which is what you're learning. But you won't know who you are until you try something. I'm going to try watching a movie like this. Oh, that sucked. I'm not going to watch that kind of movie again. I'm going to try reading this 
kind of book. Oh, that was great. I want to read more of these kinds of books. Those are simple examples. But the biggest challenges are people. When you communicate with certain people in the way that is good for you and shows them what you will and won't accept, when they appear in your life and they are toxic or hurtful or mean, what are you going to do? Are you going to leave them in your life? Are you going to tell them that they're being hurtful or disrespectful? Are you going to eliminate them from your life? This is where, again, you define who you are. If you are used to letting people cross your boundaries or steamroll you, that needs to change. I know, make it sound simple, but this is where personal development comes in. You have to improve yourself if you feel there's, uh, you feel your life needs improvement. If you feel like you don't know yourself, this is where personal development comes in. This is part of personal development is uh, being who you are, being comfortable in your own skin, and when somebody crosses the line, letting them know, hey, you crossed the line, please don't do that again. I make this sound simple, I know, and it is a work in progress all the time. Even for me, I don't come on here saying I'm perfect, I'm a master. I'm saying that when people cross my boundaries, when things get out of control, I have to rely on who I am at a deeper level. When a toxic person comes into my life, I have a choice. And I'm going to make what I believe is the best choice for both of us. What I mean by that is I'm going to protect myself from this toxic person in one way or another, and I'm going to let them know that they aren't allowed to be toxic in my life. That's helpful for them, believe it or not. When you are around a toxic person, it is helpful for them to know your boundaries so that they don't act in a toxic way, or at least they have a choice not to. This is how you empower someone to treat you right. You empower them to treat you right by telling them, hey, you're being disrespectful, just want to let you know, so please don't do that again. And now they have a choice. You're, you're giving them the choice to show up as toxic or healthy or just disappear. And that choice is a source of empowerment. And this is how I empower people that show up in my life that uh, I believe if they don't stop doing what they're doing, it's going to be worse. And so when they show up in my life and they're toxic or hurtful or whatever, I give them that choice. I empower them with that choice. It doesn't mean I just eliminate them and never talk to them again. I might if they're really bad. But uh, if they do something that I believe is hurtful or toxic, whether they meant it or not, I'll let them know. This is what I will accept in my life and this is what I won't accept. And are you willing to honor that? Because if you honor me honoring myself, you're in. But if you don't care about my boundaries, eh, I'm going to have to go somewhere else. I'm going to have to treat you differently or I'm going to have to eliminate you from my life. And um, I know I'm kind of rambling here, but the point is as you do this more and more, as you honor yourself, you will define who you are at the deepest level, creating a solid foundation of you and you get to know yourself this way. This is my approach. This is what worked for me. I had to do this very process. And it was risky. I, I didn't even mention that. It is risky to honor yourself with certain people in certain places. For example, you're in a job that you hate. It's risky to go to the boss and say, look, I'm not getting paid enough or I work with this jerk and you got to do something about it. It's risky because the boss might say, well, I don't want any whiners, so you need to get out of here. 
but I look at that as acting within my own integrity. I don't want to be any less than I am with someone else. I want to be comfortable being myself around anyone or anything. I want to be able to be myself in almost every situation. I won't be able to do it in every situation, but in almost every situation, especially things that um, I have to do all the time, like work. Like if I couldn't be myself at work, then that would drain me. If I couldn't be myself in a relationship, that would drain me. I want to be comfortable being myself. And who I am has been defined over the years by honoring myself, standing up for myself, and understanding that um, I am worthy. I am worthy of being treated nicely and kindly and respectfully. I'm worthy of it. And as soon as I accepted that and traveled that path, knowing that I am worthy of it and deserve it, then when people tried to do it, they, I empowered them. <laughs> I empowered them with the choice to treat me with kindness and respect or to do something else, go somewhere else, talk to someone else. And those who honored my choice, we probably became great friends or at least connected in a, a better way. And those who couldn't, and they wanted me to show up as the way they wanted me to show up, they're not in my life anymore. I don't have any contact with them. And yes, sometimes that means family. So yes, this is risky. Some of the things I'm telling you today are risky to honor yourself with people that could do harm. And I don't mean physical harm, because if it's physical harm, you should probably pick a different battle. Maybe you shouldn't have those people in your life. But there are people that could do emotional harm, even if they don't mean to. But sometimes we don't uh, jive with everyone. Sometimes we don't resonate with certain people. So they may end up disappearing from our lives because we are being who we want to be and being comfortable in our own skin, doing what we want to do in our lives. And the people that honor us doing that are usually the people that stick around the longest. I hope this is helpful. I know there's a lot more we could talk about here. There's so many other directions we could go in, but I wanted to give you a really strong place to start, and that's where I would start if I were you. Thanks for joining me, and thanks for tuning in for another episode. I'll be right back with my thank yous and my goodbyes and my final words right after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank the patrons this week, Donald, Stephen, Paige, and Brian. Very grateful for you. These are the financial backers of the show. They are called patrons, or I read their names every week, patrons of the week. And so I want to acknowledge them, and I'm very humbled and very grateful for you. Thank you so much. If you find value in the show like these patrons do, head over to moretob.com, and there are options to help the uh, show out. I appreciate you. Thank you again. And um, for a show on how to deal with difficult relationships, you've heard me talk about this before, Love and Abuse over at loveandabuse.com. That's my other podcast. And that can be very helpful for anyone in a difficult situation where there's control, manipulation, verbal abuse, anything that goes on that uh, is very hard to deal with. Loveandabuse.com. And if you're the difficult one in the relationship, head over to healedbeing.com where I have a very comprehensive, very, I believe, the best step-by-step -step on how to stop being hurtful to the people you love 
and uh, create the, the strongest relationships possible. That's over at healedbeing.com. And I want to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And I want to share one last thing I learned about choosing to be single. When my divorce was final and I said, you know what, I just need to be single. I need to learn who I am before I get into another relationship, before I bring any of my toxic behaviors or dysfunctions into any other relationship, I believed I needed to work on myself just like that person who wrote. And um, that's what I chose. I, I decided that it was very important to work on myself, to know myself, so that I didn't bring any more negative behaviors into any relationship. But it took humbleness, vulnerability, and transparency with myself. I had to admit that perhaps I was wrong. Perhaps I don't have the answers. Perhaps I was mistreating people I loved. And the more I allowed those thoughts to enter my mind, the more uh, memories I that came up that showed me my behaviors and how hurtful they were. And as I reflected on those behaviors, I decided to commit to myself that I would never, ever be that way again. And there was a philosophy I developed back then, too. When I decided that I would never be hurtful again, I started to ask myself a question, or at least I made up this question so that when I got into a relationship, I wouldn't go down that old path. And that question is, is what I'm about to do or say an intention to change or control them? Is what I'm about to do or say an attempt to change or control them? Or something like that. And I still ask myself that question when I need to. Thankfully, it doesn't happen often because as you ask yourself that question more and more, you get to learn about maybe your subconscious behaviors that are in there. <laughs> they're in there and they're an old pattern that wants to repeat itself. Is what I'm about to do or say an attempt to change or control the other person? And this is where you have to be humble and vulnerable and transparent. You have to be honest with yourself. Because what's going to happen is you're going to say, yeah, but, <laughs> I mean, if you're dealing with this, you're going to say, yeah, but they need to change. Or yeah, but they have to do something different. Yeah, but, and you'll maybe have that argument with yourself every now and then. But the real important answer you need is, is what I'm about to do an attempt to change or control them. Because if it is, then that's the selfish path. That is the path that leads to disharmony. That's the path that leads to distancing, you know, them distancing themselves away from you. That's what I'm about to do, an attempt to change or control them. Oh, well, I do want them to change, but why can't I want that? That might show up. Why can't I want that? You can. You can want anything you want, but you shouldn't attempt to change someone or control them or manipulate them because what ends up happening is they feel controlled. It's simple. <laughs> they feel controlled. They feel maybe like they're being manipulated or maybe they don't know they're being manipulated, but something doesn't feel right. I saw this happen with my old partners that things just didn't feel right with me and they started distancing themselves from me and I I thought it was them having a problem of some sort, but I wasn't the cause. That was what I felt. I, I didn't think I was the cause. 
and then I started asking myself that question, is what I'm about to say or do an attempt to control or change them? And then suddenly I realized, well, yes. And then I answered, yes, but. <laughs> yes, but they should do this. It's for their health. It's for our happiness. And that's when I started understanding that I had a lot of demands on other people. I don't want to make these demands on people I love. I want them to live their lives. You know, I can say this easily now. I want somebody that I love to live their life the way they want. I want to support their path to happiness. That is how I show them love. I want to support their decisions, even if I disagree with them. That is how I show them love. And the more I've done that, it feels like if you do that with somebody, that they'll uh, go anywhere they want and they'll leave you. But if they love you, which they will when you support their path, they'll want to be with you. They'll want you to be in their life. And this is what I learned, is that the more I allowed someone to be themselves and make their own decisions and choose their own path, the more they want to be with me. That's mind-blowing, or at least it was when I learned about it. And now I have the strongest, best relationship I've ever had in my life because of that. Because I've chosen that path. Because I've chosen not to want to control or change them for any reason, just because I love them and I trust them. I trust that if our relationship is meant to be, it'll stay together. And the more I allow them to be themselves, the more they feel loved and supported and will want to be. I mean, who doesn't want to be with someone who loves and supports someone being themselves? And so that has been a very important lesson. And this person who wrote that said, I want to learn about myself and my identity and all this other stuff. You're eventually going to get into another relationship, I'm assuming. And when you do, this will be helpful for you to make sure that you are not inadvertently controlling or manipulating or trying to change someone else. Now, the person who wrote may not be dealing with that, but uh, you might <laughs> because your story sounds a lot like mine. And even though you said they're controlling, you said you're control. There's other things that you said that kind of made me think that perhaps you're like this too. So uh, I forget what you said, and maybe you said it directly, but that's what I got from it is that you were probably trying to control them and manipulate them in maybe covert ways, maybe not overtly, but more under the radar kind of stuff. So if that's the case, this is how you start to heal from that so that you uh, don't go down that old road again in the next relationship or with anyone. I, I like to have the philosophy with anyone. Am I doing anything to control or change them? Am I attempting to alter their course, change their decision, change their mind? And when I catch myself trying to change someone's mind today, I typically want to back up, typically take a step back and realize, whoa, I don't want to do that. That's not my job. You can't empower someone by trying to change them. You empower them by allowing them to learn on their own, even when they're doing things you don't agree with. Now, of course, the disclaimer is if they're young or they're doing something that's going to be life-threatening, if they're uh, your child, I mean, there are times where you do have to lead someone even if they don't like it. No, you're going to mow the lawn because that's your chore. Well, I don't want to mow the lawn. Well, you, I can't support that decision. <laughs> <laughs> this is just the way it is. You're not being manipulative then. You're being uh, a parent. You're being helpful. You're being supportive in another way. And sometimes you have to do that with certain people. But in a romantic relationship, we are two individuals and this third entity we call us. 
And when we can support the other person being an individual and they can support us being an individual, then us is the healthiest version of us that we can create. That's my take. I don't know if it's yours, but uh, maybe it'll help you. Thank you for tuning in today. And always keep an open mind because that's how we learn this stuff. (laughs) That's how we go through life, learning what works and what doesn't. Always keep an open mind because that's how you step into your power and create the life you want. Talk about building your identity. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing. <laughs>